Hi, it's Dave. Starlink just might be one of the most important companies in this decade. In this video, I'm going to do a deep dive into what Starlink is doing, the challenges they face, and what options exist to invest into Starlink. All right, in this video, we're doing a deep dive into Starlink, and I think this could be one of the most important companies in this decade. Here's the outline for today's presentation. Number one, what is Starlink? Number two, we're going to look at a turning point in Starlink's history. Number three, Starlink on a roll. Number four, we're looking at the competition of Starlink. Number five, the environmental challenges Starlink faces. Number six, pricing revealed. Number seven, valuing Starlink. And number eight, the upcoming Starlink IPO. Starlink is a satellite internet constellation being constructed by SpaceX, providing satellite internet access. The constellation will consist of thousands of mass-produced small satellites in low Earth orbit, working in combination with ground transceivers. Now, in January of 2015, Elon Musk held an event in Seattle. And Elon said that SpaceX has submitted to international regulators the necessary documentation for a global satellite internet project to eventually include some 4,000 satellites in low Earth orbit and initial service within five years. And there's a 25-minute presentation that Elon gave back in January 25, and I'll go ahead and link it in the video description for you to watch it if you're curious. Now, at this event, Elon Musk did not provide a name for the project. Yet he said, this is intended to be a significant amount of revenue and help fund a city on Mars. Looking at the long term, what's needed to create a city on Mars? Well, one thing for sure, a lot of money. So we need things that will generate a lot of money. In other words, Starlink is intended to make a lot of money. It's supposed to be a cash cow. And Elon wants to use the revenue from Starlink to fund SpaceX's ambitious mission to colonize Mars. Now here's a side note. I think it's underestimated how many multi-billion dollar businesses Elon Musk has created because so many are grouped within existing business entities, but they could be standalone huge businesses. For example, and these aren't comprehensive by any means. There's autonomy within Tesla, meaning Tesla is making autonomous vehicles, but that could actually be a completely different company. And it could be a massively billion dollar, perhaps even trillion dollar market cap company eventually. Also, under Tesla, there's energy storage and grid management. And also under Tesla's also there's solar roof and solar panel business. Further under Tesla, they have battery manufacturing, battery development. All of these actually can be multi-billion dollar businesses all by themselves, yet they're grouped within a single business entity and therefore it kind of masks how much innovation right, is actually being done under Elon Musk. Now, not just within Tesla, but Elon previously had co-founded PayPal, he's founded SpaceX, he's founded Neuralink and Boring Company and others. And so, yeah, I think it's um, underestimated, underappreciated what exactly Elon Musk is doing. I think for one person, one entrepreneur to actually create one multi-billion dollar business in a category is just amazing. Yet Elon is doing it across many, many sectors. And I think this is often overlooked. Now, going back to this January 2015 event where Elon launched this whole Starlink um, project, he said, we're really talking about something which in the long term is like rebuilding the internet in space. The goal will be to have the majority of long distance internet traffic go over the network and about 10% of local consumer and business traffic. So 90% of people's local access will still come from fiber, but we'll do about 10% business to consumers directly and more than half of the long distance traffic globally. So the goal is 
to the end consumer business, Starlink will sell a phased array antenna, and this will connect with low orbit satellites that Starlink um, launches, and then they'll be able to get internet access. This is combined with these ground transceivers that are basically able to shoot the internet signals up to um, Starlink satellites. Now, another part of this business is actually long distance internet traffic. And this is between, let's say, continents or point to point across the globe. And this is actually a quite large business area where businesses are paid to transfer right, large amounts of internet traffic from point A to point B around the world. All right, on the same day as the Seattle event on January 16th, 2015, Ashley Vance, he was the person who wrote the biography on Elon Musk, came out with an article on Bloomberg. And he said, our focus is on creating a global communication system that would be larger than anything that has been talked about to date. That's quoting Elon Musk. And the article goes on. Hundreds of satellites would orbit about 750 miles above Earth, much closer than traditional communication satellites in geosynchronous orbit at altitudes of up to 22,000 miles. So what Starlink is trying to do is rather than having geosynchronous satellites, which basically orbit the Earth at the same rate as the Earth turns, which is 22,000 miles right above Earth, rather than that, Starlink is going to go with low Earth orbit satellites, which are much closer to Earth, but it will require a lot more satellites, yet it'll have, I think, vast greater potential than, let's say, a geosynchronous satellite network. In Musk's vision, internet data packages going from, let's say, Los Angeles to Johannesburg would no longer have to go through dozens of routers and terrestrial networks. Instead, the packets would go to space, bouncing from satellite to satellite until they reach the one nearest their destination, then return to an antenna on Earth. The speed of light is 40% faster in the vacuum of space than it is for fiber. The long-term potential is to be the primary means of long-distance internet traffic and to serve people in sparsely populated areas. Musk goes on and describes his system as a giant global internet service provider for anyone, but he wants to go even bigger than that. He sees it as a basis for a system that will stretch all the way to Mars, where he plans to set up a colony in the coming decades. It will be important for Mars to have a global communications network as well, he says. I think this needs to be done, and I don't see anyone else doing it. Yeah, I think there's no one else doing it because no one else is actually thinking that far out with that ambitious of plans. He says people should not expect this to be active sooner than five years, he said, and it'll be expensive, around $10 billion to build. But we see it as a long-term revenue source for SpaceX to be able to fund a city on Mars. All right, so this was back in 2015. Now it's five years later in 2020, and we're going to look at how far Elon Musk and SpaceX have come with Starlink to date. Now in the early days of Starlink, there wasn't a lot of news out there. However, there was a turning point a few years into it, and the turning point comes in 2018 or so. And here's an article from Reuters on October 30th of 2018. And it says, within hours of landing, Elon Musk had fired at least seven people on the program's senior management team at the Redmond, Washington office. The culmination of disagreements over the pace at which the team was developing and testing a Starlink satellites, according to two SpaceX employees with direct knowledge of the situation. So in 2018, Elon Musk was not happy with the pace of development that his Starlink team was making. He wanted to go much faster, and yet there was disagreements among the management. So Elon decided to basically fire the entire management team of Starlink, and he brought a whole new management team from SpaceX. Says known for pushing aggressive deadlines, Musk quickly brought in new managers from SpaceX headquarters in California to replace a number of the managers he fired. There 
under mandate, launch SpaceX's first batch of U.S.-made satellites by the middle of next year, the source said. Among the managers fired from the Redmond office was SpaceX Vice President of Satellites Rajiv Badiel. Rajiv wanted three more iterations of test satellites, one of the sources said. Elon Musk thinks we can do the job with cheaper and simpler satellites and sooner. So Elon had a completely different vision. He wanted to go cheaper and simpler and faster. And it's interesting, this Rajiv Badial, who was fired, currently heads Amazon's Project Kuiper satellite efforts. I'm going to go into that very shortly. All right, we have a few lessons learned from this turning point. I think sometimes it's very difficult to fire people, especially in a company that's where people are working very hard. However, I think being scared to replace leadership in a company can compromise the company's overall mission, especially in the case where the leadership isn't demonstrating the skills and ability really to be able to meet the mission and the goals of the company. And I think Elon Musk asked this question. He said, can this leader or this management team that I put in charge of Starlink, can they take us to the place where we need to go to be successful? And I think the answer is no. And therefore, I think he decided to replace the whole team. And I think the key here in this situation was Elon not compromising on the standard of exceptional leadership and sticking to the goals he knew he needed to reach for Starlink. After this management change, Starlink has been on an absolute tear. In November of 2016, SpaceX filed an application with the FCC for a non-geostationary orbit satellite system in fixed satellite service using the KU and KA frequency bands. In March of 2017, SpaceX filed plans with the FCC to field the second orbital shell of more than 7,500 V-band satellites in non-geosynchronous orbits. In November of 2018, SpaceX received U.S. regulatory approval to deploy 7,518 broadband satellites in addition to the 4,425 approved earlier. In February of 2019, a sister company, SpaceX, SpaceX Services Incorporated, filed a request with the FCC to receive a license for the operation of up to 1 million fixed satellite Earth stations that would communicate with its non-geostationary orbit satellite Starlink. In total, nearly 12,000 satellites are planned to be deployed with a possible later extension of 42,000. The initial 12,000 satellites are planned to orbit in three orbital shells. First, 1,440 satellites will be in a 340 mile altitude shell. The second group is 2,825 KU band and KA band spectrum satellites at 690 miles altitude. The third group is 7,500 V band satellites at 210 mile altitude. Now Starlink is targeting service in northern US and Canada in the year 2020, which is now, and they're rapidly expanding to near global coverage of the populated world by the year 2021. Let's take a look at the current situation of how many satellites Starlink has in low Earth orbit right now. On October 24th, Starlink launched 60 more satellites for Starlink, and this is the latest launch. Currently, they have a total number of satellites launched at 895, and they have deorbited 51 of those satellites. So currently, the total number of satellites that are in orbit as of October 24th, 2020 is 844. All right, here's a cool little animation of Starlink satellites in orbit and what's being planned in the future. And they are different orbital shells. And so if you notice, actually, these satellites are moving quite fast around planet Earth. In order to use Starlink, the consumer needs a cheap phased array flat receiver to track the fast moving low Earth orbit satellites. These satellites will circle the Earth every 90 minutes or so. An antenna would need to track it moving across the sky over a few minutes and then switch to the next satellite. 
light. All right, so what is phased array? In antenna theory, a phased array usually means an electronically scanned array, a computer-controlled array of antennas, which creates a beam of radio waves that can be electronically steered to point in different directions with, without moving the antennas. Phased arrays were invented for use in military radar systems to steer a beam of radio waves quickly across the sky to detect planes and missiles. And one of the benefits of having a phased array antenna is you don't need to point the satellite dish at a certain exact position in order to get internet reception. Rather, the dish will kind of point itself and actually have a wide range to determine which satellites it's going to link up to. Now let's talk about the difference between low Earth orbit versus geosynchronous orbit. Now geosynchronous orbit is an Earth-centered orbit with an orbital period that matches the Earth rotation on its axis. From the ground, geosynchronous orbit satellites appear to be stationary. So in other words, it kind of rotates around the Earth at the same speed that the Earth is rotating at. And usually this is about 22,000 miles in altitude. Now compare this to low Earth orbit satellites, which re revolve at an altitude between 160 and 2,000 kilometers, or about 99 to 1200 miles. These low Earth satellites also can fly at a much faster pace because of their proximity to Earth. Now this past year, SpaceX opened up an interest list to find out who's interested in Starlink. And SpaceX said that Starlink, its nascent satellite internet service, has already seen extraordinary demand from potential customers with nearly 700,000 individuals across the United States indicating they are interested in the company's coming service. Due to the greater than expected interest, SpaceX filed a request with the FCC on Friday, asking to increase the number of authorized user terminals from five to five million from one million. User terminals are the devices consumers would use to connect to the company's satellite internet network. Now this is back in August of 2020, and SpaceX is saying they need more than one million. They need five million right, user terminals, at least permission for that. And when they continue to grow, they'll continue to try to boost right, their request for permission as well. One interesting thing to note is that actually the launching of Starlink satellites is likely to become cheaper over time. And the reason is because SpaceX's Starship will make deploying the Starlink satellite one to two billion dollars cheaper than to launch with, let's say, Falcon 9s. And the main reason is the Starship will be able to deploy over five times the number of Starlink satellites per launch, and the cost per launch will be three times less. So in other words, SpaceX is planning to use their Starship, which is under development, to launch these Starlink satellites in the future. And by doing so, they'll launch 400 satellites at a time. All right, now let's take a look at Starlink competitors. First, I want to take a look at OneWeb. OneWeb was founded in 2012 by Greg Weiler. He secured $500 million in funding in 2015, and he contracted with Airbus so Airbus could build the satellites. In 2016, he raised $1 billion from SoftBank. And then in 2017, OneWeb raised another $200 million. Now here's Elon Musk's take on OneWeb. This is back in January of 2016. Musk and Weiler have known each other for years. Musk, in fact, used to crash at Weiler's guest house in Atherton, California. While there are major similarities between the two ventures, Musk says he'll have an edge through SpaceX's smarts and manufacturing techniques. Greg and I have a fundamental disagreement about the architecture, Musk says. We want a satellite that is an order of magnitude more sophisticated than what Greg wants. I think there should be two competing systems. So in 2016, Elon Musk is saying that he has a fundamental disagreement with how OneWeb is doing it, and he believes his way is actually going to be more successful and better in the long run. Now, there was a little bit of tension back in the day as well. Here it says the backers of OneWeb, which includes Virgin Chief 
Richard Branson, contend that Musk doesn't have the rights to Spectrum he'll need to create such a network. I don't think Elon can do a competing thing, Branson says. Greg has the rights and there isn't space for another network. Like, there physically is not enough space. If Elon wants to get into this area, the logical thing for him would be to tie up with us. And if I were a betting man, man I would say the chances of us working together rather than separately would be much higher. So Richard Branson said, hey, OneWeb, we're ahead and we've tied up a bunch of stuff. So Elon's probably only choice is probably to have to work with us. But as we know, Elon Musk had different plans as SpaceX was able to get regulatory approval on their own and launch their own satellite constellation. So OneWeb commenced launches of their OneWeb satellite constellation, a network of more than 650 low earth orbit satellites in February of 2019. And then by March of 2020, they had launched 74 of the planned 648 satellites in the initial constellation. Then OneWeb filed for bankruptcy on March 27th of 2020, following a cash crunch amidst difficulties of raising capital to complete the build and deployment of the remaining 90% of their satellites. So back in March of 2020, OneWeb filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and it says the global communications company with the mission to bring connectivity to everyone everywhere announced today that the company and certain of its controlled affiliates have voluntarily fi filed for relief under Chapter 11 of the bankruptcy code. And then in July, we get word that OneWeb was kind of rescued. And according to ISP Review, it says that the UK government and the Indian conglomerate Bharti Global have today made a successful $1 billion bid to acquire the British registered space company OneWeb which will see the UK invest $500 million in order to help build a new global network of low earth orbit satellites for ultra fast broadband and possible GPS. And so while OneWeb isn't completely dead, in my opinion, it's not completely alive either. You've got a kind of a bailout from the UK government and they're trying to put up satellites, but in my opinion, they're not going to be a strong competitor to Starlink. All right, the next possible competitor is Amazon's project Kuiper. Now, Amazon announced in April of 2019 that they would fund and deploy a large broadband satellite internet constellation called Project Kuiper. On July 30th of 2020, Amazon announced that it would be investing more than $10 billion in Project Kuiper. Now, here's the kicker. The president of Kuiper Systems is Rajiv Badial, a former vice president of SpaceX's Starlink satellite internet. Internet constellation. So one of the main persons who was running the entire Starlink team in the early years has now transferred over to Amazon and is now running their competing satellite network project. Now let's take a closer look at Amazon, but more specifically at Jeff Bezos and his ambitions and plans for space. Now Jeff Bezos set up a company called Blue Origin. And this is an American privately funded aerospace manufacturer and suborbital space flight services company headquarters in Kent, Washington. It was founded in the year 2000 by Jeff Bezos. The company's CEO is Bob Smith, and it aims to make access to space cheaper and more reliable through reusable launch vehicles, kind of very similar to what SpaceX is doing. Now, the company's name refers to the blue planet Earth as the point of origin. By 2014, Bezos had invested over $500 million of his own money into Blue Origin. As of 2016, Blue Origin was spending $1 billion a year funded by Jeff Bezos' sale of Amazon stock. In both 2017 and again in 2018, Bezos made public statements that he intends to fund Blue Origin with $1 billion per year from sales of his equity in Amazon. So Blue Origin has some very, very deep pockets because Jeff Bezos is willing to spend a billion dollars right, by selling his Amazon stock and investing into this company for space exploration. So going back to Amazon's project Kuiper, according to a Forbes article, 
dated July 31st, 2020. It says yesterday, five SEC commissioners voted unanimously to approve Amazon's project Kuiper, a mega constellation of 3,236 satellites that will orbit Earth designed to beam internet to the ground. Amazon will be required to launch half their satellites by the year 2026 and the rest by 2029 as per the FCC's authorization. So there's a lot of things going on here. Amazon has committed $10 billion to launch their satellite constellation network called Project Kuiper. They've put in charge of this the former Starlink right manager who was in charge of the Starlink operations for the first few years. And then Amazon has received SCC approval for the initial constellation of Project Kuiper satellites. And on top of this, Jeff Bezos is pushing through with his plans for Blue Origin to make reusable rocket technology. So with all of this happening, here's Elon Musk's response to this. He tweets, Jeff Bezos copycat. And the reason is a lot of the things that Amazon's Project Kuiper is doing is very, very similar to Starlink. And while it might be flattering to be copied sometimes, I'm sure it also can be irritating at times too. All right, let's take a look at some of the environmental challenges that Starlink faces. Now, the first is space debris. Now, Matt Desch is the chief executive of Iridian, and he praised SpaceX for winning the FCC commission approval to operate much of his Starlink constellation at 550 kilometers versus the 1,150 kilometers as originally planned. And SpaceX said it lowered the satellites to reduce latency, but at the lower altitude, the satellites will naturally deorbit within five years without propulsion. So in other words, one of the greatest moves made in the last two or three months on this whole issue is SpaceX is deciding to lower its altitude, he said, while acknowledging that there are reasons beyond space sustainability for operating in lower orbit. I'm just thrilled that they made this decision. It's a very responsible decision. And what this means is that by SpaceX deciding to lower the altitude of most of its satellites, it actually helps these satellites to deorbit more naturally and faster after its useful life, thus reducing the amount of possible space debris. Now, another environmental challenge is light pollution. And according to Vox in January 2020, it says that Starlink and similar constellation satellites are different than many of the satellites in orbit in a way that makes them a nuisance to astronomy. They're very close to Earth. If something is two times lower in orbit, Tyson explains, it's four times brighter to us on the ground. Telescopes capture images of the sky with very sensitive cameras. These satellites are so bright that they overexpose the camera sensors. The effect is like taking an eraser to the images of the night sky, covering the images of the sky with tracks of unusable data. SpaceX says it's been working with the astronomy community and the scientists at Vera Rubin Observatory in particular on mitigating the problem. So the problem is because Starlink has so many satellites that are in low Earth orbit, they're more visible right, to people on Earth than, let's say, the geosynchronous satellites that are 22,000 miles above Earth or so. And because of that, some astronomers have complained of the light pollution caused by Starlink satellites. Now, SpaceX is working hard on this problem. Elon Musk tweeted back in April and he said, we are taking some key steps to reduce satellite brightness, by the way, should be much less noticeable during orbit rays by changing solar panel angle and all satellites get sunshade starting with launch number nine. Here's a graphic by SpaceX, which shows that by changing the solar array angle and adding sunshades, it can mitigate the reflections right to Earth. And here's another photo from SpaceX showing these sunshades on a Starlink satellite that are blocking the sunlight from antennas, preventing reflection. All right, now let's go into how much Starlink is going to cost. So Starlink has started their beta and it's called Better Than Nothing. 
beta test. And here's kind of the email that they sent out. And it says, we're trying to lower initial expectations. And it says you can see data speeds varying from 50 megabits per second to 150 megabits per second and latency from 20 milliseconds to 40 milliseconds over the next several months as we enhance the Starlink system. As we launch more satellites, install more ground stations and improve our networking software, data speed, latency, and uptime will improve dramatically. For latency, we expect to achieve 16 milliseconds to 19 milliseconds by the summer of 2021. The Starlink phased array user terminal, which is more advanced than what is used in fighter jets, plus mounting tripod and Wi-Fi router will cost $499. And then the monthly subscription will cost $99. So here are the details of the initial Starlink beta launch. You'll get actually very good initial speeds and these speeds will just improve over time. There's no mention of data caps and my gut feeling is that Starlink won't have data caps because this is one of the things I think that people complain about current satellite internet usage. I think it's a reasonable price, $99 per month. If you compare it to other satellite internet services, it's actually really cheap and very affordable. Plus it's $499 for the hardware. Again, this is actually very reasonable. This beta rollout has just started last week. And so you have the first beta users actually getting their phased array antennas, setting up Starlink and testing it out for the first time. In a future video this week, I plan to do an unboxing of the Starlink satellite hardware system. And if you want to be kept updated, please subscribe to the channel so you can get notified about that. All right, so when can I get Starlink? Under Starlink's Better Than Nothing beta program, the initial service is targeted for the US and Canada in year 2020, but it's rapidly expanding to near global coverage of the populated world by 2021. Starlink's initial goal is to have 1,440 satellites in their first orbital shell to give basic global coverage. And I'm thinking that they can reach that by springtime of next year or so. Can Starlink replace my home internet? Well, I think actually Starlink is gonna be especially useful for those in rural and remote areas. The alternative is actually pretty miserable. You have HughesNet, which is a satellite internet provider, but it's very expensive, it's very slow, and they have very strict data caps. Also, Starlink will appeal to those people who need very fast latency. However, I don't think Starlink is gonna be ideal for urban settings, especially those in high-rise buildings because you'll just have a lot of obstructions and already the fiber optic network is quite dense in urban areas. Can I make video calls and play games? Yeah, Starlink's latency speed is very fast and it's going to be great for video calls and gaming. And it's going to be great for those who need super fast latency like people with high speed stock trading. For the initial beta users, some people are posting on Reddit their experiences and they're getting great download speed and actually very fast latency. It's just occasionally the signal might drop off because the Starlink satellite is switching satellites. But I think over time as Starlink puts out more satellites, they're going to resolve that problem because they'll have greater coverage of satellites around the world. Will Starlink have a data plan where they throttle people who stream videos all day? You know, I highly doubt that. I think Elon tends to make things pretty simple. And one of the big complaints of people with current satellite internet is the strict data caps. So my hunch is that Starlink, Starlink won't have any data caps and it will be unlimited. But I think it's possible that they do have some type of way to identify those who have crazy bandwidth activities and find a way to limit those. If users are using lots of data, does that slow down the service for you? Now, the system of Starlink, I think, is going to be designed to handle millions and millions of users. And as the constellation grows, it'll just get more reliable and faster. So I don't think um, people have to worry about data speeds at all. Does Starlink have international expansion plans? Yes, Starlink was designed to allow people in remote areas around the world to access the internet. So that's kind of the ethos and the mission of Starlink is to be international and global. They'll start out in the US and expand from there. But recently I heard reports that Starlink had applied for access in Germany. And I think we're gonna see this trend of Starlink just expanding country by country 
country as it becomes more global in providing its services. Is Elon going to be CEO of Starlink? How about Gwen Shotwell? Will she be part of Starlink or will she stay with SpaceX only? Now, my guess is that Elon will be CEO of Starlink because it is so crucial to SpaceX's mission. Starlink is kind of the cash cow or the revenue source that will enable SpaceX to reach its grand ambitions of colonizing Mars. Now, I'm not sure about Gwyn's role in Starlink. Currently, Gwyn Shotwell is COO and president of SpaceX. I think going forward, it's reasonable to say that she would have some type of role in Starlink as well. Who are the current investors in Starlink? Starlink is actually a division of SpaceX. So it's 100% owned by SpaceX. And SpaceX is owned by Elon Musk and other investors. According to a 2016 filing, it says that Elon's trust currently owns 54% of the outstanding stock of SpaceX and has voting control of 78% of the outstanding stock of SpaceX. Now, this might have changed right since 2016. Other investors include Draper Fisher, Jervison, Founders Fund, Valor Equity Partners, Capricorn, Google, and Fidelity. So there are quite a lot of other investors in SpaceX as well. All right, I want to take a look at valuing Starlink or trying to come up with a valuation model for Starlink. So how do we value Starlink? Well, I think internet is an essential need. So it's an easy value proposition that Starlink is giving to its users. It's bringing the internet to everyone. And it's got a fantastic business model of having a recurring monthly subscription. Another thing about Starlink is it has very large barriers of entry. Like who's going to be able to launch right, thousands and thousands of satellites into space at a reasonable cost and develop an entire global constellation right, of satellite internet access. And because of this, I think Starlink does have somewhat of a moat. And if it keeps up its pace of innovation, it can continue its competitive advantage into the future. January of 2017, the Wall Street Journal published an article that leaked internal documents from SpaceX that showed their projected revenue and income going forward. Now, it's important to note that the satellite launch market is a tiny market compared to the Starlink market, which is the internet access market. So if you look at this revenue chart here, it shows that actually SpaceX's launch market caps out at about $5 billion in 2025. In other words, the revenue potential that SpaceX has for their launch business is actually quite small compared to the revenue potential they have with Starlink. Now with Starlink, the revenue here begins in the year 2019 and it ramps up until it gets to 35 or over $35 billion in the year 2025. So the vast majority of revenue for SpaceX in the future is anticipated in coming from Starlink versus their launch business. All right, here we have their operating income forecast from the same article. And it shows that operating income kind of starts in the year 2020. Now we know that this isn't accurate, it's years off because with Starlink, it hasn't even gone into operation yet. However, according to these internal forecasts, it shows that operating income ramps up to over $20 billion in the year 2025. Now, what is operating income? Operating income is you take your gross profit and you minus your operating expenses. That's how you get operating income. If you want to get net income, then you add in all the additional expenses such as interest and tax, etc. So for SpaceX to be projecting operating income of over $20 billion in the year 2025, then let's push that out a few years because it's a bit late compared to this forecast. It's still quite astounding and amazing. This is amazing margins on a business that is very, very lucrative. So how do we come up with a valuation model? Let's keep the revenue and operating income projections, let's say from that leaked article. But let's say we add four to five years right, to those projections just to give it a margin of safety. So let's say Starlink has a $20 billion operating income in the year 2030. 
And if investors give a 50 times multiple for that income, and I think that's very reasonable since this is a recurring monthly income source, right? It's very stable. And Starlink is probably going to be growing fairly fast, even at that time, deserving perhaps a 50 times multiple off of their operating income. If that's the case, the market cap would be a $1 trillion market cap company. It would make it one of the most valuable companies in the world. All right, I want to share another valuation model for Starlink. Now, this is from Treffis team via Forbes in October of 2019. And I'll go ahead and add a link in the video description for your own use. And it says Starlink will come into commercial service from 2021 with coverage spanning a bulk of the global population by 2025. 5.8 billion people will be online by the year 2025. We estimate that Starlink will garner about 0.1% of all new internet users by the year 2021, with the number rising to 2.3% by 2025 as the coverage scales up. This would imply that the company's new subscriber ads would scale from 0.2 million in 2021 to about 5.6 million by 2025. We estimate Starlink's total user base as of 2025 to be about 14.4 million. It goes on and says, we project monthly average revenue per user for the service will stand at $60. This would imply annual revenues of about $10 billion in the year 2025. Assuming 2025 revenues of about $10.4 billion and a price to sales multiple of about 3X, we estimate that Starlink could be valued at a little over $30 billion. All right, I think there are actually major flaws in this model that I just shared. First off, Starlink is a very high margin business. We're talking about an operating margin of probably over 60% according to the leaked documents that I shared earlier. Now, if you're assuming $10 billion of revenue in 2025, this could mean that Starlink could have operating profit or operating income of $6 billion. That is actually amazing. And they would still be growing extremely fast. So if you give it a 50 times multiple off of their $6 billion operating profit in the year 2025, you get a market cap of $300 billion. Now this is 10 times, right? The forecasted $30 billion market cap that that model is sharing in 2025. Next, I want to share an investment framework that I've come up with personally, and it's more of a generational company investing framework. And the question is, is Starlink a generational company? And I ask several questions. First, is Starlink disrupting a very large market? And I think the answer is obviously yes. This is a global internet access market. This market has amazing potential. It's got an amazing business model and growth ahead. Number two, does Starlink have a significantly better product and ability to defend that superiority? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. There isn't really even a second place competitor at this moment. And Starlink to this date is the only company that's showing that it's competent enough and innovative enough to create a truly global satellite internet constellation. Sure, there will be competitors, but as long as Starlink continues to focus on innovation and pace of development, I think they will outdo the competitors. Number three, do they have world-class execution? And I think they've showed up to this point, yes, they've outcompeted right the most innovative right, satellite companies in the world at this point, and they're continuing their pace of world world-class execution. Number four, do they have a clear and probable path to a 10x valuation in five to 10 years? Now, the answer to this question all depends on what is the starting valuation for Starlink. But if Starlink is able to debut at a valuation of under $100 billion, then yes, I do think they have a clear and probable path to a 10x valuation within five to 10 years. So the next question is, how do I invest in Starlink? Well, Starlink is a part of SpaceX, which is a privately held company that is not traded in the public markets. It's possible that SpaceX spins out Starlink as a separate company and takes it public, and that's when 
the vast majority of people will have access to be able to invest into a company like Starlink. Now, according to a February 2020 CNBC article, it quotes Gwen Shotwell, the president and COO of SpaceX. And she says, right now we are a private company, but Starlink is the right kind of business that we can go ahead and take public. That particular piece is an element of the business that we are likely to spin out and go public. But in terms of SpaceX as a whole, they can't take the company public until they're flying to Mars regularly, she said. So in other words, Starlink is a type of company that SpaceX is willing to spin out as a separate company and go IPO, while SpaceX is going to remain private until they're regularly flying to Mars. All right, back in September 28th of this year on Twitter, VM underscore one says, can you please go IPO with Starlink and somehow let retail investors in early? Retail always gets the tail end of IPOs. And Elon Musk replies on Twitter and says, we will probably IPO Starlink, but only several years in the future when revenue growth is smooth and predictable. Public market does not like erratic cash flow. Haha. I'm a huge fan of small retail investors. We'll make sure they get top priority. You can hold me to it. All right, here Elon Musk makes an amazing right, promise to individual retail shareholders saying that he's going to give them top priority in a future Starlink IPO. Now, this is amazing news. I think it's great news for all retail investors who are looking to invest in a company like SpaceX. Now, the question is, when was Elon's last promise to retail shareholders and what happened. So I want to take you back into time. Back on August 7th of 2018 on Twitter, Elon said, I'm considering taking Tesla private at $420, funding secured. Shortly after Elon Musk tweeted this on Twitter that day, I replied to him. I said, though I understand your reasons, please don't take Tesla private. There are hundreds of thousands of retail investors who have placed significant resources and risk into investing into Tesla for the long term and would not think it's fair. I continue and I say, or if you do take Tesla private, please have a provision for retail investors who have held Tesla shares prior to December 31st, 2016, that those shares will be converted into private shares in the new private company. This would be only fair and the right thing to do. And the reason I tweeted this is because I thought being forced out at $420 if Tesla went private was not very appealing to me as a retail shareholder. I've been holding Tesla from the early days of let's say 2012 and 2013. And my goal wasn't for Tesla to reach $420. No, I thought Tesla had potential to become one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable company in the world. So to be forced out at $420 would be a huge letdown. And so that's why I replied to Elon, asking Elon to at least allow people who had held Tesla shares up to a certain point to be allowed to convert those public shares to private shares in the new private company if he took the company private. Now, Elon replied and he said, absolutely, am super appreciative of Tesla shareholders. We'll ensure their prosperity in any scenario. So here Elon makes a bold commitment to ensure the prosperity of retail shareholders, even in the case of if Tesla is going to go private. Now, later on, we know that Elon decided not to take Tesla private. And one of the reasons was he couldn't find the right way to take the shares owned by individual retail investors and transfer them into right, a private company. All in all, I think an upcoming Starlink IPO is possibly going to be an amazing opportunity for retail shareholders. Recently on Twitter, I tweeted this tweet. And I said this tweet by Elon Elon Musk is underappreciated. He's basically saying he will give top priority to small retail investors when Starlink goes IPO. Usually small retail investors are giving lowest priority in IPOs. Starlink IPO will be a huge opportunity. One of my Twitter followers asked me, Dave, what are Elon's options to prioritize small investors? Well, here are some uneducated thoughts. I think if Starlink does a traditional IPO with big banks, big banks typically look out for their big clients, not small retail investors. However, it might be possible 
for Starlink or SpaceX to use kind of a family and friends provision where they give IPO pricing to certain people before the stock hits the public market. Now, Tesla actually did this back in the day. I think it was 2010 or so when Tesla went IPO. They allowed Roadster owners to go in to Tesla's IPO at IPO pricing as friends and family. And what that meant was Roadster owners could actually buy Tesla stock at the IPO price before it hit the public market. I think this might be a possibility when Starlink goes public to do something similar. However, with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people right, interested in Starlink stock, I'm not sure how the logistics are going to work out for this. Another option could be to do some type of direct listing. Now, this is what Spotify did a few years ago when they went public. But it's possible that Starlink can maybe do it in stages. First, they could have retail investors. So those who held, let's say, Tesla shares prior to a certain date, they're allowed to buy Starlink shares at a ratio of the Tesla shares they own. So let's say for every 10 Tesla shares, they're allowed to buy one Starlink share, for example. And then there could be a second stage where institutional investors are then to buy the stock. So the concept would be to do some kind of direct listing where it would be done in stages, but the first stage would be given to individual retail investors. All right, so when will Starlink IPO? According to Elon Musk in September 28th of 2020 on Twitter, he says, we will probably IPO Starlink, but only several years in the future when revenue growth is smooth and predictable. Public markets do not like erratic cash flow, haha. And it looks like he learned this lesson from Tesla who had erratic cash flows over the years and an erratic and volatile stock price. And so Elon wants to kind of take Starlink public when they have more stable cash flows so the market can understand it better. How can someone invest into Starlink right now? Well, it's possible to purchase SpaceX shares in the secondary market. And what this means is it's purchasing shares not on the public market because there is no public market for SpaceX shares. However, there are several secondary market exchanges or brokers who are able to find SpaceX shares. Usually the easiest time to do this is when SpaceX is raising money. And usually you need to be an accredited investor as well to invest in these secondary market shares. Further, there are often fees and commissions that these secondary market exchanges or brokers charge. A few of the more well-known secondary markets are places like Forge Global, or places like microventures. So what is the current market cap for SpaceX? Well, SpaceX has done many funding rounds in recent years. The last funding round was August of 2020, where they raised $1.9 billion at a $46 billion valuation. Prior to that, during the March to May period of this year, 2020, they raised $570 million at a valuation of $37 billion. Last year, in 2019, in June, they raised $310 million at a $35 billion valuation. And in April 2019, they raised $540 million at a $33 billion valuation. So according to these figures, it appears that SpaceX is valued at around $50 billion or so. And because they raised almost $2 billion just a couple months ago, they probably have enough runway for at least a year or if not longer. So the next time they raise money might be late 2021 or so. All right, so what can you do right now? Well, first, if you're really interested in Starlink, you can sign up for the Starlink beta program. If you go to starlink.com, they have a form where you can note your interest. Second, you can watch Starlink launches at spacex.com. Next, you can keep updated on my next Starlink video by subscribing. I'm gonna be doing an unboxing video of the Starlink hardware this week. I'm gonna be testing out some of the service, and I'm gonna be comparing Starlink service with 
my current satellite internet provider, HughesNet, to kind of see what the difference is. Further, if you have any questions about Starlink, or if you have some suggestions on some Starlink topics that you'd like me to cover in future videos, please add them in the comments section below. Next, if this video has been helpful, then please like the video because that helps spread the word and helps others get to view this video as well. And if we can get to 10,000 likes, that would be awesome. Also, if you work for SpaceX, I appreciate any help in trying to interview Gwyn Shotwell. In my opinion, I think Starlink has an amazing mission and vision, and I think it's underappreciated in many ways. Starlink is going to revolutionize rural and underdeveloped areas. For example, if an underdeveloped village pulled together to get one Starlink for their village and got several Wi-Fi extenders, they could cover their entire village with Wi-Fi access from Starlink. And this would give internet access to the entire village. And more importantly, the kids growing up in that village would have access to all of the education that the internet offers. They can learn new languages. They can learn math and science. They can learn history. They can learn geography. They can learn about economics. They can learn how to start a business. In fact, they can even start their businesses online. The potential and opportunities are unlimited. And I'd love to see SpaceX and Starlink get that message out in a clear and compelling manner. All right, if that video has been helpful, please let me know. I'd like to do several follow-up videos on Starlink. And if you have any questions or any topics you'd like me to cover, please add them in the comments section. And I also want to hear from you guys on what you think about this longer form kind of research focused presentation format that I tested out in this video. Please share your ideas and your feedback in the comments section. In this channel, we're looking at investment topics in the world through different angles, not trying to follow the herd, but rather use independent thinking to try to get beneath the surface of things. I'm on Twitter at HeyDave7. You can also find all my video episodes as an audio podcast in your favorite podcast player. Just type in Dave Lee on investing. We'll see you in my next video. Thanks.